1: plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans plan features and taxes and fees may vary
2: Braves and baseball
0: fans it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball there it goes a
3: long drive if it stays fair home run
0: one strike away Sandy into his windup. up here's the pitch Swung on and this, the perfect game. Fly ball deep left center, him on the run. Yes, 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 yes. A lot of Braves yes! have given you a championship. Listen to this
1: crowd. Left side, Swanson to
0: first. Braves, yes! world
1: champions. Braves and baseball talk, straight from the diamond. Here's Grab McCauley. Hello again, and welcome to From the Diamond. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Thank you for making us part of your Labor Day weekend. Braves are busy trying to wrap up business with the Marlins, and we're busy trying to talk about all the things that have gone on this week for the Braves, everything that's going to be going on next week for the Braves, and, of course, taking our look around the big leagues. Make sure you're following along on Twitter. You can find me at Grant McCauley. You can find Corey at Corey J. McCartney. You can find the show at From the Diamond with a nice little underscore underscore on the end. With all that out of the way, Corey, this, I think, uh, like all weeks are and like all games, all series are going to be for the Braves. It feels like we're in must-win territory now. Every game is important, and of course, every game is an opportunity and another day that disappears off the calendar. And the Braves have kind of had an up-and-down week, but as they've come home to Truist Park, they seem to have kind of righted the ship.
2: Without question. And certainly, you know, we talk about this all the time. It, it matters where the Mets are playing, who they're playing, what the outcomes of those games are. And, and certainly they're getting some help, by the way, from the Washington Nationals uh-huh. of all teams right now. So, uh, you know, it, things are getting very, very interesting in the National League East.
1: You know, they certainly are. I mean, it's been an interesting kind of year because we knew coming into the season that the Mets were going to be a better team. We knew that the Braves were going to be a very good team once again, but the pieces were going to be a little bit different there have been a lot of storylines for both of these clubs, I mean, that have kind of led into this rivalry that has formed this week or reformed for the first time in quite a long time. But you're right. This is, it's, if you're a baseball fan, this is one of the most wonderful times of the year, I feel like. I mean, I love the hot stove. I love the playoffs. I love opening day. I love all of those different things. But coming down the stretch, in a pennant race, getting through the dog days of summer, getting to the other side of Labor Day, this is the kind of time that you really look forward to being in the hunt, and the Braves are most certainly in the hunt.
2: Yeah, without question, and certainly as, as I mentioned, it's it's all about you know the the games that are ahead for them compared to the games that are ahead for the uh, the Mets, and certainly with the Braves, I and mean, when we know this West Coast road trip is going to be massive. Uh, I honestly I, I don't know that I've been more excited about a series than when obviously it has nothing to do with the National League East, but this Mariner series uh, mm-hmm. coming up the ninth through the eleventh out in Seattle, I think is just going to be, uh, and we'll get into it a lot more later on. But I think just with the amount of star power out there in Seattle and what that team's been doing. Um, I think that series is going to be an absolute blast. It definitely
1: will be. And we're going to talk all about the upcoming road trip. Of course, we're going to get you up to speed with what's been going on with the Braves here on this homestand, which uh, kind of a, I don't know, an extension of the road trip. And we're going to get a a lot into what's been going on with Kenley Jansen and, and the Braves bullpen and some of the things that didn't go right on the recent road trip. But, Atlanta had this three-game losing streak that culminated with a couple of really tough losses late to the St. Louis Cardinals, a meltdown for Kenley Jansen, another game that went away from them on Sunday despite the fact they had the lead. Didn't come home kind of flat and lose to the Colorado Rockies, and that's the kind of loss that really, at this time of year, it can't be happening to a club that's pushing, what, 20 games under 500. There's just no time for a losing streak right now, and I think that one of the things I've kind of noticed about this is, yes, the offense has had some big days, you know, like maybe a day where Sandy Alcantara pitches, and you hit five home <laughs> runs, and nobody expects that, so maybe you win some games you're not supposed to, you lose some games you're not supposed to, and it all evens out in the wash, but I have kind of felt like this offense has had a, a bit of a a a. Hard time with runners in scoring position again. Something that we went through the summer, thinking might be correcting itself after a really slow start to the season. But Corey, here in September, it seems like hits with runners on base have been a little bit harder and a little bit harder to come by. I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, I will say though, you, you look at the month of August, and they were third in the league on way to run create a plus one nineteen with runners in scoring position. So, I mean, I think maybe just a few days. I mean, I mean take it back to last yeah you know, since August first. Yeah, they are third in the league. Way to run creative plus with runners in scoring positions. So this team's certainly capable. Uh, we know the amount of firepower they have. But I don't know that you can say enough uh, over what we've seen these this past week or so. I mean, to me, starting pitching has been – starting pitching and Austin Riley have probably been the, the biggest uh, pieces of the puzzle here uh, over this last seven days in Braves baseball. They have been. And Austin Riley, after what was a
1: red-hot month in July where he set the extra base hits record for the franchise and – You know, he was having a a bit of a a down August, most certainly. There were those moments that were still sprinkled in there. But when you have 26 extra base hits in a month, and keep in mind, I mean, if he'd gotten the all-star break to have a few more games, maybe he gets over 30 extra base hits. That's just how good this guy was. And clearly one of the reasons he was a National League all-star, most certainly. But – He seems to be back on his track again. Coming into Sunday, home runs in four consecutive games for Austin, who's now on that better than a 40 home run pace. And my bold prediction at the All-Star break was Austin Riley's going to lead the National League in home runs. I was kind of worried about him in the month of August, but now I'm feeling pretty good about it. He moved to within one of Kyle Schwarber for the National League lead. Of course, you got Paul Goldschmidt in that mix as well. Looks like a a three-way, if you will, a a triple threat, if you want to call it that, as the old uh, ECW um, references go. But this is a guy that power-wise and extra base hit-wise has a chance to do something that only one other Brave has done. That's 40 doubles and 40 home runs in the same season, and that guy was pretty darn good. It was Chipper Jones. So among Braves' third basemen, you keep hearing Austin Riley mentioned with Chipper Jones. That's pretty good company.
2: Without question, 42 homers and 44 doubles is the pace that he's on right now. Went into Sunday with uh, number 35 in, his, in hand. You mentioned no one since Chipper in 99, but no one across baseball has done it since Nolan Arenado and Josh Donaldson in 2015. So a couple more, a pretty good third baseman that we're uh, tying Austin Riley's name into there. But, I mean, I don't know that he's sitting on 364 weighted run creative plus in September. I don't know that that's what they would call sustainable. Uh, but, man, he's uh, he's having a monster second half, uh, hitting 62% above league average right now. And if you felt like things were you in know, a little bit of a lull for him, I mean, yeah, August was maybe the one of the least productive months of the season for him, but he's absolutely been turning it on of late.
1: Now, you have some highs and lows throughout the course of 162 games in a baseball season, but the good ones, they said the great ones, if you will, they're able to get out on the other side of that, work their way through that. I think that's one thing that Austin Riley has proven, both in 2021 in his breakout campaign, but also here in 2022 – I feel like he came in with as much or more expectations than any other Braves player, not named Ronald Acuna Jr., to follow up on that breakthrough season in 2021 where he was getting that MVP consideration. He was getting those MVP chants throughout the playoffs when he was busy getting walk-offs in the National League Championship Series against the Los Angeles Dodgers, but then to come back in and, you know, you have to do it again. And Austin Riley has more than done it again. And, of course, Alex Antopoulos saw what they have here and is going to keep him around for the next decade. So this is a guy who's become a pillar for the Atlanta Braves, and he's done all of that in what, about the last 18 months?
2: I mean, the numbers are almost across the border better than they were a year ago. He's a a uh, five-and-a-half fangraph war player right now. I mean, go back to a way to run creative plus. Remember, 100 is league average, and he is 55% above. He was 35% above uh, a year ago. I mean, the the weighted-on-base average is nearly 20 points higher. I mean, just everything uh, is better. He's cut down on the strikeouts from a year ago. Uh, just everything that you look for in, in the progression of a young hitter is all there. And now obviously, you know, as you mentioned, uh, there's the security there of knowing th- there's no more questions at third base. And I think I think that's always going to be the thing, right? is as is, is fantastic as he's been. It took a while to find that guy. Now that they have him, and, he, and he's just seemingly getting better year after year. I mean, it's uh, it's it's been uh, I mean, fascinating to watch him uh, progress since that you know came up in 2019 and just made so much early noise.
1: He has, and you know, 33 home runs a year ago set a career high. He's already set a new career high with just under 30 games left to go in this season. He's got a chance at a 40-home-run campaign in which the Braves have not had a ton of those here since the, the new millennium, and particularly not in the last decade as well. You know, Ronald Acuna Jr., I think, is always going to be expected to be that 40-home-run threat. Freddie Freeman gave it a run a couple of times here with the Braves. I think Matt Olson's certainly a 40-home-run threat, and this may have been kind of an up-and-down season for him, and we'll talk more about him later. But when you hit 40-home-runs for the Atlanta Braves, I mean, you're up a, a, among the likes of Dale Murphy, Hank Aaron, and guys of that nature, Chipper Jones, of course, is on that list. And there just haven't been a whole bunch of guys who have done that. I think David Justice, another one I can think of off the top of my head, Javi Lopez at the catcher's home run record for the franchise. And I think he might still hold the catcher's single-season home run record. Or maybe Salvador Perez took that away from him last year or year before. Either way, I mean, it's pretty elite company when you have a 40 home run season.
2: Yeah, and there's been 23 40 home run seasons in franchise history. Uh, Ron LaCunha Jr. did it in 2019. And then before that, you got to go back to Andrew Jones, who did it in both 05 and 06. So uh, it's been a while. I mean, it's only happened four times since the turn of, uh, since we flipped from 1999 and 2000. So uh, it's been a bit. uh, And the fact that, you know, they got two guys uh, on the roster here. If Riley can pull this off, they have two guys at the same time. Uh, with 40 home run seasons on their resume is a a big, uh, I mean, it's a big nugget for this franchise without question. It
1: really is, and when you think about the Braves lineup and the pieces that they have been, you know, able to to cobble together here, and everybody seems to be kind of playing a a different role at a different time, and we've had a couple of times where the Braves really needed a spark, and they were able to get that. Michael Harris is having an outstanding rookie season. I mean, he's on pace for, what, a five-war season? As far as Fangraphs is concerned, he's been Uh, Coming off another terrific month as far as uh, individual awards are concerned. He's a Rookie of the Month for the second time here amongst National League rookies. And there's that Rookie of the Year race that we've got going between Spencer Strider and Michael Harris. But Michael Harris provided that spark as the Braves went on that winning streak back in June. Vaughn Grissom has provided, I think, a spark when the Braves needed it in the month of August. Now... You might not be looking at a 21-year-old to provide the spark. You may be looking for the return of Ozzie Albies to be a difference maker in the month of September. Ozzy's down in Gwinnett on his rehab assignment, had a couple of hits in a rain-shortened game. And by the way, rain's kind of wreaking havoc with the Braves here on Sunday. But getting a Ozzie Albies back in the mix is something that's only going to make the Braves better down the stretch because they're getting one of their best players back and defensively speaking, one of the better second basemen in baseball.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, the thing with, once we start heading down this road is everybody's got their questions, right? I mean, what is this going mean? to mean? Everyone's obviously going to go right to Von Gerson what is this going to mean for Von Gerson? But I think the the fact that you even, you're even you getting Albies back at this point in the season, I mean, in, in, as Brian Snicker said earlier this week, you know, they're not concerned about – The shape that he's in, in terms, because he's been doing the work. I mean, he's he's been walking around, you know, at least for the last few weeks. I've seen him without any, you know, sign whatsoever of any kind of a foot injury. It's just more about getting him in game shape and getting him to the point where they feel like he can go out there consistently and play the position and and go out there and play in the rigors of a, a major league ball game. Uh, but, man, once he gets back, I mean, it, it's just everything's going to be that much more intriguing on how they make the pieces fit together. Who, you know, who's the odd man out? You know, Grissom's been taking fly balls out in, in the outfield. We've mm-hmm. seen him multiple times pregame doing that, and you know, he commented on it before yesterday's game. You know, Just you know, just get to the ball, just make the catch, and just be an athlete. Uh, that's basically what he's looking to do uh, as, as an outfielder. But, man, it, it, to get him back, Ozzy Albee's back, and what he means to that lineup is a, just another guy who can do so much for you and extend things. I mean, it's uh, – it, it, man, I just it, – it's it's going to be really interesting to see how this puzzle, this puzzle fits together.
1: It most definitely will. And I feel like a lot of the talk has been about, you know, what's going to happen to Vaughn Grissom, what are the Braves going to do with Vaughn Grissom, how are the Braves going to keep Vaughn Grissom into the mix. But getting Ozzy Albies back should be a bigger story in and of itself. I know he struggled in the first couple of months of the season, and I know that this fractured foot – really set him back and forced the Braves to try to find an answer in second base, but I don't know that we're focused enough on what the return of Ozzy Albies, particularly if he's able to provide the offense that he has over the course of his career, could mean to this club down the stretch. This is a difference-maker kind of player.
2: Yeah, without, I mean, look, he was hitting 11% below league average when he went down. Those are not Ozzie Albies' numbers. We've seen him, you know, average right around 6% above league average. Uh, you know, you go back the last couple, you know, that, I mean, four seasons, you know, he, he take away the 2020 uh, shortened season. I mean, you're talking about 24 home runs, 24 home runs, and 30 home runs. And then he had eight uh, this season before he went down. You, you get power, obviously. You you get a lot of production. Um, you certainly you you get another guy near the top of the lineup that can just cause so much havoc. And I just I just don't anticipate that we're going to see him have the same, you know, swing and miss uh, capabilities at the play that he had seemingly had so often. Uh, you know, he had the lowest average that he had of any of his six seasons. So mm-hmm. I don't anticipate that's the Ozzy Albies we're going to see when he gets back.
1: Yeah, I think there's a course correction ahead here in the month of September. By the way. Speaking of swing and miss capabilities, Mike Soroka looked pretty darn good in his recent minor league start on Friday for Gwinnett. Finally got some swings and misses. That was a good thing to see. Perhaps he'll be back in the stretch drive as well. As far as difference makers are concerned, both of those guys make my list for the Braves. And of course, we're going to talk a lot about everything that's going on with this Atlanta club from the week that was. Get you set for the week that's coming up and take our look around the big leagues here as From the Diamond continues on Sports Radio 92.9 the game. to more from the diamond sports radio 92.9 the game this is from the diamond sports radio 92.9 the game grant mccauley and Corey mccartney with you from the kia studios hopefully all of you are having a wonderful labor day weekend though it might be a little bit wetter than you had uh, anticipated here Uh, in and around Atlanta. Of course, the Braves are dealing with it in a rain delay as they try to wrap up their three-game series with the Miami Marlins, which means you get bonus coverage over here from from the Diamond. So we appreciate if you found your way over to join us for that. we got a lot of great Braves discussion going on, as we always do each and every week. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you. Make sure you're following along on Twitter. I'm at Grant McCauley. He is at Corey J. McCartney. And uh, while we have the time, which, of course, we already did, but while we have perhaps a more Braves-centric audience, I think we should go ahead and throw it all the way back to Thursday, which is something that most people typically do. But that was the night that Spencer Strider was having the start of his young career. Perhaps more ahead, Corey, but when you talk about a pitching-rich franchise like the Atlanta Braves are, with Hall of Famers like John Smoltz, like Greg Maddox, like Tom Glavin, Warren Spahn, Phil Necro, and a host of other great pitchers that have all put on a Braves uniform, 16 strikeouts across eight innings for Spencer Strider on 106 pitches, absolutely pounding the strike zone and setting the Atlanta era record with those 16 punchouts coming within 2 of the franchise record which took a 15 inning Herculean effort from Warren Spahn by the way this is the kind of thing that not only gets you noticed across major league baseball but if you're a rookie looking to be the rookie of the year i would say Spencer Strider's resume just continues to get better and better every fifth day
2: Yeah, and it wasn't just yeah I mean, obviously the, the Smoltz record is everything right, right. Uh, but that wasn't and the he only did it twice. i mean, yeah and that wasn't just that was the only not the only bit of history to come out of that performance because he now has 174 strikeouts. He takes down the 170 set by Julio Terran in 2013, which was a previous Braves record. Single season. A single season Braves record for a rookie. And I mean, he already has the best fangraph four of any Braves pitcher since the team moved to Georgia. And you have to go all the way back to World War I to find the first time that a Braves rookie had a better F four than he has right now. And that was Dick Rudolph in 1913. Um, it was I mean, it was it was unbelievable. you know seventy nine strikes out of his one hundred and six pitches, a seventy four point five percent strike rate, a ridiculous sixty two point five percent whiff rate on the slider, mm-hmm. season season best, fifty two point uh, six percent put away rate on that pitch. Um, the fastball average ninety eight point five. So if you worried if the innings building up were going to have any impact on him whatsoever, I think the average fastball velocity there shows you it's it's not having any impact on him whatsoever. I mean, he was just, absolutely dominant.
1: And he was still throwing 99 miles an hour in the 8th inning. So if you're wondering, can he carry that fastball? Is it going to be 101-102 in the first 3 innings? And then by the time he gets to the 5th or 6th innings, having to go 3rd time through the order, well, it's only 96 or 97. I think he's figured out more than uh, adequate ways to make that have some staying power. And he has figured out ways to really, in that particular start. And I know the Rockies are, overall, it's a very deceiving line for that offense because, oh, they have the highest batting average in baseball as a team. Well, they play half their games in Coors Field, so they're great at home. They're not so great on the road, where I believe they have one of, if not the lowest batting averages in all of baseball. But to get a big league club, to strike out 16 times by essentially throwing two pitches and give yourself that single-game record, passing John Smoltz, who did it in 1992 and did it again in 2005, as far as the 15 punch-outs are concerned, And then with Strider and Michael Harris, both playing at just incredible levels. I mean, this is one of the most exciting, I think, awards races that you could possibly find who is going to win the National League Rookie of the Year. And I think a lot of people have said Michael Harris is the everyday guy, so he kind of gets the nod, maybe has the inside track, because he has been so special and does it each and every day. But I've kind of been holding out, and I know I said it on the show a few weeks ago. If Spencer Strider gets to 200 strikeouts as a rookie, he's going to do it in probably fewer than 150 innings. Only one pitcher in baseball history has done that. That was Chris Sale a couple of years ago. To do it in your very first year, that would be something truly special. But I'm inclined to think, hey, maybe we need to get the, uh, the the chainsaw or the soldering iron or whatever it is that you cut a trophy in half with and go ahead and split that thing down the middle.
2: Well, I mean, the Baseball Writers Association of America has done it before. I mean, you go back to 1976, Butch Metzger, Pat Zachary, and the NL, they both shared the award. So, I mean, there's precedence for it. And certainly – you know, it all sets itself up if the votes come in, and that's the way it, it lines up. We're going to have co-winners. He's on pace for 214 strikeouts. it will be the 13th by a rookie in the live ball era, the first since you Darvish in 2012. I mean, we got to remember, it, I mean, he didn't even go into the rotation until May. He didn't p- pitch past the fifth inning of a game until June 10th, and we're talking about him being on pace for 214 strikeouts. It's, it's, it's unbelievable.
1: It absolutely is, and when you look at the overall 200-strikeout plateau, he's on pace to get there in, I believe, 133 innings. When I went back and was looking for seasons in in which somebody finished with 200 strikeouts and fewer than 150 innings, the only one that I could find uh, was Chris Sale, I mean, and that's a pretty special strikeout pitcher. When I went back and looked at seasons in which a a pitcher finished with 13.7 strikeouts per nine or better with 150-plus strikeouts, in fewer than 150 innings, you're looking at Brad Lidge for the Houston Astros. I believe in 2004. I mean, people just aren't doing the kinds of things that Spencer Strider's doing. And Brad Lidge, I think it was 157 strikeouts in 94 and two-thirds innings, and that's an absolutely absurd year. And that's for a guy that was closing games, just an absolute weapon. Spencer Strider, though, I think the other discussion that goes with this, of course, is the Braves are going to be looking to you know punch their ticket to the postseason. The Mets clearly having some trouble with the Washington Nationals right now. This race is not over, despite the fact the Braves had their own troubles over last weekend. There's still a three-game series between these two teams. We don't know who's going to win the National League East yet, and we may not find out until the final day of the season. But if you're putting together that postseason rotation right now, I don't know that there's an argument against Spencer Strider being in one of those three spots. You know you want Max Fried there. I think Kyle Wright's earned it. Charlie Morton's got the postseason pedigree, but man. How can you take Spencer Strider away from the role in which he is absolutely dominated?
2: I mean, that's a pretty fascinating question, right? I mean, because you mentioned, I mean, Morton's obviously got the resume. But can you use Strider in a different way in the postseason than you obviously could if you're only allowing him to go out and get starts? I mean, could you conceivably use him? Kind of like the Andrew Miller role that the Indians had a few years ago, where you maybe you can use him multiple times during a series and know that you've got that kind of high rate strikeout capability in this guy. That almost a whenever you need to shut it down, bring him in and shut it down. I, I just if if you don't use. Morton in that way what is is what's Morton's role I mean is he a long relief guy I mean what's how, how are you utilizing Charlie Morton if you're taking him out of the rotation for Spencer Strider
1: there's two different ways I look at this with Charlie Morton and obviously the broken leg last year the Braves had to overcome that and they did and they won the World Series and it's not to say that you know Charlie Morton wouldn't have been able to help them do exactly what they did I think that he would have you just had to get really creative with Morton sidelined and having to use bullpen games for essentially two full World Series games and still win it in six against a Houston Astros club that was extremely good. I guess I look back at the 2019 NLDS, which people don't enjoy looking back on. We all know how that ended. It wasn't so great, but Mike Soroka was a rookie that year. But you can make the argument Mike Soroka was the Braves' best pitcher that season. He started one time in that NLDS, and I think if you don't learn from the past, you might be doomed to repeat It's something that I've kind of learned a few different times and a few different applications over my life, but – I know that Max Freed is the ace of this staff and I'm not arguing against him not getting those starts but if you look at wins above replacement if you look at pure domination if you look at pure stuff and the exact kind of pitcher that is set up to have postseason success
2: how can Spencer Strider not be perhaps the number 2 on that list I'm I'm not gonna, I'm not going to argue with that just it to me it's <laughs> like how, you just think about it okay I'm going to take I'm going to take Charlie Morton out of the postseason rotation I mean it's but do you see that actually happening I I, don't I guess know. that's you know As much as we say, look on paper, it makes a lot of sense to have a guy that you, and and by the way, you were right. I mean, the only guy who's done more than 200 uh, strikeouts and less than 150 is Chris Sale in 2019 at 147 and one third. So that's the kind of arm that you've got that you obviously want to be a part of your postseason rotation. But if you're going into a three game wild, uh, best of three wild card series, I mean, he's probably not getting a start in that series. You know you're probably going to go with Kyle Wright and Max in uh, Max Freed in that series, right? I mean that would probably be your, more than likely what you're you going to go Max Freed number one, and I yeah. guess
1: maybe what I'm saying is I'm starting to expand this out, and we got a whole month left yeah. to to kind of figure this stuff out. But I would almost argue that outside of Max Freed, Spencer Strider is the guy that maybe should get the game to start at this point because Max Freed is your number one guy, and I don't think that that's going to change. And I'm not trying to make it crazy and get so lost in you know, recency bias or what's happened lately that I'm saying that Spencer Strider should just be leading this staff, but he's made more and more and more of a case of being one of the most exciting pitchers in all of baseball right now, number one, and then number two on the staff in terms of pure value and domination. This is the kind of pitcher that you want in October. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about Spencer Strider a little bit later in the show, but I just wanted to have this discussion because I think it's been a fun one, and I think it's been front of mind for a lot of people for quite some time. But I want to talk about something that was a little bit more on the other end of the spectrum. And that of course is the late inning struggles of Kinley Jansen Now, the Braves closer is leading the national league in saves. That's something that if you told me in spring training, when they signed him was happening, I'd believe you because kinley has been one of the best closers in baseball over the course of his career, but he has had a couple of funks this year, Corey one in may early June, but really seemed to turn around by the time the Braves got their entire act together in June and went on the winning streak. But lately, and in particular, the blown save against the St. Louis Cardinals where he walked in the winning run. Not something you see happen too often. Of course, the Braves kind of even the ledger by getting one of their own from the Marlins recently, but it was after Kinley had had more trouble and blown another save. And Kinley talked about this um, after that most recent outing, uh, having a little bit of trouble with the mechanics, but it's the mindset, I think, of Kinley Jansen that has him set up to overcome what's been going wrong. Take a listen to Kinley Jansen.
3: I'm on the Delivery is out of whack right now. I can't get my cutter to the other side right now, so we got to go work our way through it, you know. I mean, I ain't going to let this get my confidence down, you know, never. So I've been in this situation so many times, and guess what, you know, it looked bad, you know, but you just got to continue to keep going and work through my delivery and get my delivery right. And once my delivery get back, you know, on track, not out of whack right now, once I get back on track, it's going to be fine. I mean, you can't beat yourself on it. Just keep working, you know, it's a long season. we got to go what we want to accomplish to win the World Series. And, you know, I just got to come back tomorrow and keep grinding and keep working and get back on top. I've been doing this for, for so long. And listen, man, nothing bothers me in this game. just want you guys to know that. So we're just going to get back out there tomorrow and just keep grinding and get my delivery to where I want it. And then it's going to be fine. And then we're going to laugh about this in about a month.
1: Well, look, I mean, I love a laugh as much as the next guy. And I hope we are laughing about this. But there's been nothing funny about these results, clearly, for Kinley. It's very frustrating. He, is, As he said, his delivery is out of whack. He has not been able to execute his cutter. I talked to Peter Moylan of Valley Sports uh, out at the ballpark uh, earlier this um, uh, on this homestand. And he said, look, the, the cutter was not there against St. Louis. And I would say, again, the cutter was not there in the one nothing game he came into Ran into trouble. It was a bizarre ninth inning. A home plate umpire had to leave the game. There was a 15-minute delay. Kinley left the game. Tyler Matson comes in with one pitch and gets out of a basis-loaded situation. But it has just felt like things have kind of been teetering for Kinley, who, if you look at all the metrics and all the things you want to see on the StatCast page, they're all pretty much there, except for maybe the walk rate. That's something that has started to become a bit problematic for him. The Braves went out and got Rice Iglesias at the trade deadline. So let me kind of throw this over to you. You want Kenley to be able to continue to make appearances to work his way through this. I do believe that. But
2: when it comes to high leverage games, one run games, this is why you have Rice El Iglesias, right? Without question. I mean, since the beginning of August, Kenley has a 4.91 ERA, an 8.18 OPS against. And, you mentioned, and the cutter, I mean, just to dive a little bit deeper into the cutter here, he's had a 1.86 average against it on season, uh, the season. The, but these last four games, teams have hit 4.28 off the pitch. In two of those games, he's had a 0% whiff rate on his cutter, 0%. He's allowed three hits, including a home run. Um, it's just, I mean, he's, he obviously mentioned the, the mechanics are out of whack, but yeah. if Kenley Jansen can't throw his cutter, it, I mean, he can't be Kenley Jansen. It's he his number it's, one weapon. That's his thing, right? Yeah. And Rossio Iglesias has a .71 ERA in 14 games in a Braves uniform, 12 and two-thirds innings, one 12 run. strikeouts, three walks, one run. I mean, I think there's ways to get Kenley back on track without falling down this path of saying Kenley Jansen pitches when we are tied or when we are ahead, which has been Brian Snicker's M.O. and when he wants to use his uh, past all-star closer. I think you got to get away from that, and you've got to find opportunities to build back up the confidence. Maybe we see Kenley come out, you know, on this road trip in Oakland, where he's maybe he's out in the seventh inning, maybe he's out in the right. eighth, and maybe maybe it's little things like that that allow you to get him back because they can't they can't win in the postseason if Kenley Jansen has a 15 ERA that he's had in his past four outings.
1: Right, and I would say this as well. I mean, you're not talking about just deposing your closer outright and no longer using him. It's about working him through and being able to get things right. But when Alex Alex Antopoulos went out and hit that buzzer beater for Rice El Iglesias. We knew it could be a big deal, but we might find out exactly how big that deal could be. We'll continue our Braves discussion as From the Diamond continues here on Sports Radio 92.9 The game. We got a lot more to get to. Lots of good stuff. We appreciate you riding along with us as the Braves are weathering a storm at Truist Park. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney, From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The game continues.
3: to Grant McCauley for more From the
1: Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. And welcome back. This is From the Diamond. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you on a Sunday afternoon from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. It's kind of a wet Labor Day weekend, I guess you could call it that. It certainly is over at Truist Park. Braves and Marlins in a rain delay. Typically, we're talking to you on Sunday evenings and the Braves have already finished their business, but we appreciate you tuning in and joining us As we talk about what has been a very eventful week and what has been an eventful season and a fun race in the National League East that continues to tighten up a little bit. And many of the stories on the docket for the Braves and what was this week in Braves baseball, you know, we kind of have had a wide range, some good stuff, some bad stuff, some in-between stuff. And one of the things that I think is kind of in-between, Corey, for the Braves might just be the surgically repaired knee of Ronald Acuna Jr., this has been an ongoing thing all year long. We saw him come out like gangbusters when he came back off the injured list, running wild, stealing bases, and doing things that made you feel like, hey, Ronald Acuna Jr. is back, and he's that guy. And I still think that he is that guy. And he is going to find his way being uh, back to being one of the better players in all of Major League Baseball. If you're one of the doubters or detractors out there, just give it a little bit of time. But right now it's a little bit difficult to be patient. I think Ronald's had to deal with some of that but he made this offhand remark, and and maybe tongue in cheek, or depending on what the context was and how you heard it, and and what medium you heard it on. If you read it just flat out, uh, without hearing him say it, that his knee is terrible, and that was the quote, and that it's something that he's going to have to deal with all season long, and also that it's something he's going to play through. And there was kind of a maybe a lighthearted or jovial tone around. it. I don't know if you can be very jovial about a painful knee injury, but. This is something the Braves are going to have to continue to manage. We saw Ronald come back after a three-game absence, but he's been DHing, and that has had some trickle-down effects to other places and other players, obviously on the Braves roster. But this Corey is going to be a story that I don't think is going to be going away anytime soon.
2: Not this season. I mean, they're 65 and 29 when he's on the field. So if anybody's saying, "Okay, well, why don't you just, you know, go nah. put him on the IL and nah. see him in a couple of weeks when everything's nah. back," they're 17 and 22 when he's not on the field. And he's been in DH the last four spots, hasn't been on the field since August 26th. Uh, obviously, you know, his impact is undeniable when he's in the field. But you, you start off with him talking about intense pain in the surgically repaired knee. And then, you know, late, earlier this week when asked about it, he was laughing a little bit when he right. said it feels terrible. Um but, you know, as we talked to Brian Snicker earlier in the week, too, I mean, there's realities with when they feel like it's a, a bigger issue. It's when he's trying to steal bases. Yeah. When he's out in the field and he's making the starts, the, the quick starts the quick stop, and stops and all that kind of stuff. I mean, but the reality is it's not going to get better anytime during the grind of this season. You're not going to see Ronald Cuny Jr. at 100% probably until the spring of 2023. It's managing it and it's getting him to a point where he feels like he can still be a productive part of this season. And that, you know, they, they need his bat, obviously, for this run and for what comes next in October. Um, but you're right. I mean, there's, there's the trickle-down effect. There's the fact that, you know, you go into Sunday with Marcelo Zuna, you know, being in the lineup and having to play a, a, in a spot defensively. Yeah. And, and then you've got A. Rosario in a spot in the corner as well. Um, this, it, it's kind of all part of the process here of trying to find a way to utilize Acuna, but not putting him in a position where you potentially could lose him for even longer.
1: Yeah, and the big thing with Ronald Acuna Jr., and just to put this out there, there's nothing structurally wrong with his knee. If there was something structural, and they continue to check in with him and to make sure that this is the case, if there was something structurally wrong with his knee, he would be on the injured list. But putting Ronald Acuna Jr., to your point, on the injured list and sitting him down for a week, 10 days, two weeks, whatever it is, I don't think that that really is going to help him out that much in terms of getting this knee to completely quiet down and have it go away. It is a pain management situation, and this is something I've talked to with a lot of of former players, current players. There's a difference between being hurt and between hurting and being injured, and I think for Ronald, he's never really had to walk that fine a line with this, but This knee injury has really changed, I think, probably the mindset, the style of play right now this year in particular because he's feeling pain that was never a second thought. It was never a first thought for him before. But this team is a better club when Ronald Acuna Jr. is in the lineup. And whether he's a 40-40 threat, a 30-30 threat, or a guy that's hitting home runs in bunches as he has in the past but hasn't as much this year, he is an absolute difference maker. And many of the trickle-down effects, as you've just mentioned, one of them in particular – Marcelo Ozuna did not play much in the last couple of weeks, and there are, of course, reasons why Marcelo Ozuna was not in the lineup on a regular basis, not the least of which his off-field off trouble is certainly a factor in it, but he has not been a productive player this year. But I'll tell you this, at this time of year right now, and if he's going to be on the roster, and, and if and until the Braves make a decision otherwise, the guy might as well produce, and he has produced some in this Marlins series, and that's something that could come in handy if you've got to figure out a way to mix and match your outfield with Ronald Acuna Jr. taking a substantial portion of those DH at-bats because not only was Vaughn Grissom taking reps in the outfield the other day, I was watching William Contreras get back out there. It's something he's done a little bit of before. But necessity, right, is the mother of all invention. And the Braves are going to have to be creative with how they handle this, particularly with Ozzie Albies coming back because you can't just DH Ozzie now all of a sudden. You need him defensively, I feel like, every day at second base or more days than not. But if you're having to run Ronald Acuna Jr. through the, the DH at bats, this is going to change a lot of the way that Brian Snitker constructs his roster, not just his roster, but his uh, everyday lineup.
2: I mean, it's it's become a, a different kind of puzzle than I think the one that they anticipated when Von Grissom started hitting. And you think, okay, when Ozzy Albies is ready, where is this guy going to go? Now all of a sudden, you've got the reality here of Acuna. And to to quote CM Punk from earlier in this week, <laughs> there, there's, a, a kind of, uh, there's a new kind of there's a new kind of hundred percent, and it's a different hundred uh-huh. percent than Ronald Acuna Jr. was used to being at hundred percent earlier. I love it at least for the little, you know, for a little while. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to maneuver. And if you can get William Contreras comfortable and keep his bat some uh, out there at times when he's not behind the plate, if you can get Vaughn Grissom in a position where you can do something other, once Ozzie Albies is out there and you want to keep both those bats in the lineup, they're just going to have to find ways to be creative about this. And I mean, it's, Look, I I I get that there's a, a lot of people listening right now who don't want to see Marcelo Zuna in a Braves uniform out there playing, and I get it. But you you also can't ask Brian Snicker to play a man down on the roster. No, and it, you, you've got a 28 man roster now. You obviously brought back Orlando Arcia, but you can't ask him to just say, okay, that one guy's sitting down there. We're just we can't play that. That that's the kid, you know, who 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 you know. Go back to Little League, the kid who was going. You're trying to sit every couple innings. That can't be the reality of a major league roster, especially when you're trying to, you know, to win a division championship and chase down the Mets. It's you're going to see him out. They said as long as the legal process had yet to play out, that's after that is when they figured this stuff out. He's going to be a part of the equation until and he's, we're told otherwise.
1: Right. And and again, if there was a structural problem with Ronald's knee, they would make a move that would yes. be more so than just going a couple of days and playing a man down that way. And then, of course, as you mentioned, and and kind of to bring all of this full circle, you have been carrying Marcelo Zuna. And with the legal specter and the the legal process hanging over his head from his most recent off-field issue, you had to wonder how much longer is this going to go on. And I think it's still fair to wonder how much longer will this go on because when Ozzy Albies comes back, the 28-man roster and the expansion that came on September 1st, that has already seen a, a slew of moves. They activated Mike Soroka from his rehab assignment but optioned him to AAA Gwinnett. Now, we're not talking about the starting rotation right now, but when you start thinking about having active roster spots on the 28-man roster and you bring Ozzy Albies back and you think about bringing Mike Soroka back, and that second one may not be happening as soon as the first one, but you have to wonder how, who is going to be able to hold on to those spots. Adrianza has not played a lot since coming back over. I know he had his own injured list stint and his own trip down to the minors. You just got Orlando Arcia back. You've got Guillermo Heredia in this mix, of course. You've got Eddie Rosario and Robbie Grossman have been getting a lot of at bats on the corners in the outfield, particularly with Ronald Acuna Jr. now DHing. There is a slew of different things to think about for how this Braves roster is going to look like for optimization, if you will, and in particular for the postseason for guys that are going to be the contributors that you go to war with to try to win another World Series.
2: So Adrianza has not seen the field since August 24th out in Pittsburgh. Which is strange. He's only played four games since he uh, was acquired from the Nationals. I sort of feel like if you think about position versatility, if you brought Adrianza in because you think, okay, we can utilize this guy in the outfield, we can utilize him Mm -hmm. to help us out in that middle. Do what he did last year. Do what he did last year. I feel like there's the redundancy now that you're trying to expand what Von Grissom is able to do, and there's redundancy if you're looking to expand what William Contreras can do. I, I just don't... I, I think Grandma Heredia sticks around because he's part of the clubhouse culture. Yeah, he's a I glue guy. He, if someone's going to be the odd man out, first blush, it's, I think it's going to be Adrianza. Yeah,
1: and, and of course, you know, there are a lot of roster decisions that people are paid a lot more to make than, yep. than we are, and I'm actually not paid at all for my (laughs) roster decisions and haven't been for quite some time. I don't even get paid out of most fantasy leagues I'm in. But be that as it may, there's just so much to figure out for Alex Anthopoulos, for Brian Snitker, and all of the different machinations of how this whole thing could be playing out. And we talked a little bit earlier here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game about the rookie of the year race between Michael Harris and Spencer Strider, which has really started to, uh, I don't know, it's, it's more than simmering. I mean, this thing is really heated up down the stretch to where, Michael Harris having the season that he is and Spencer Strider having one of, I think, historic proportions for rookie pitchers in terms of strikeouts and just the overall dominance. It is absolutely fascinating. I was asked by Chris on Twitter, if Strider throws a no hitter this year, does he then pass Harris and get rookie of the year? And I said, you know, if he keeps doing things like that, you know, like that 16 strikeout performance, for example, this is going to be one of the most interesting rookie of the year battles we've seen with two Braves going head to head. Now, some of the other feedback that I got was Freddie Freeman and Craig Kimbrell back in 2011. Yeah, of course, it wasn't the same. Kimbrell won that. That did not feel the same. Now, Freddie had himself a very nice season, but Craig Kimbrell was doing something from a pitcher side that was pretty ridiculous in terms of what he was when he first exploded onto the scene, and in particular, in 2011. One of the other uh, bits of feedback that I've got is, you know, if you're looking at both of these guys, you know, most people feel like... Maybe you could split this award down the middle. Now, I don't know that the Rookie of the Year is going to be split down the middle. Split awards don't happen very often. You mentioned, what was that, 1976, 77? Yep. That it did happen. I know in 1979, uh, Willie Stargell and Keith Hernandez Correct. shared the MVP award. Yep. But you just don't see the voting, blind voting, come out as a as a dead heat too many times. It just doesn't happen.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a really good chance... I mean, I, I don't see any way that this doesn't happen. That the Braves, at the minimum, here finish, finish one and two. And yes, Craig Kimbrel and Freddie Freeman did that in 2011, um, but that vote wasn't even close. I mean, Kimbrel no. received 32 first place votes. Before that, the previous one-two finish was the Chicago Cubs, Jerome Walton and Dwight Smith. Yeah, um, but, the la- but the last time a team had a position player and a pitcher coming first and second was the Mariners with Alvin Dark winning over uh, Mark Langston, Langston in 1984, and that one wasn't even close either. Yeah. Uh, Dark claimed 25 of the 28 first place votes. So more often. Than not when we've seen these situations, it's the position player that's the uh, that's the one getting the nod. Yeah. Um. So I think that's going to be interesting because Strider has if you can be good and then you can be historically good and I think being historically good uh, is what in my mind would ultimately push this thing over the edge for Strider.
1: And the baseball nerd in me wants to go ahead and say I believe Mark Langston came up in 1984 and struck out 204 guys. Might have led the American League in strikeouts as a rookie pitcher. And did not win the Rookie of the Year award because I do feel like there is a little bit of a a lean towards the position players because they're out there every day. And, you know, Alvin Davis was an extremely good player for uh, five or six different years for the Mariners. And, of course, if you know a little bit about Mark Langston, then, you know, the Mariners were able to trade him a few years later to the Montreal Expos for this lanky left-hander that just really didn't get much of a shot in Montreal but turned into a Hall of Fame pitcher beginning with his time in Seattle. And that, of course, was Randy Johnson. So. You never know whose path is going to cross what, what trade is going to lead to what. And, of course, that's some of the fun that we like to have on this show as well. But when it comes to co-rookies of the year and some of the feedback here, Spencer Strider with a sub-two fielding independent pitching right now and may not be the rookie of the year. This from Davis Benefield on Twitter. God bless Dana Brown. I think everybody can get behind that last sentiment because when you look at 11th rounder Vaughn Grissom, when you look at the draft of Michael Harris and Spencer Strider and several other Braves who have really started to – make contributions or make a name for themselves in the minor leagues. This Braves farm system that was supposed to be cleaned out after, you know, winning the world series and and being one of the top farm systems for so many years, it was like running low. Well, all of a sudden you've got a whole bunch of rookies that are making a big, big, big impact on the Braves here in 2022.
2: I mean, and you think about the waves, too, right? I mean, before this, this wave, you know, with, uh, with with what Dana Brown's been able to do as VP of Scouting, that comes, you know, previously when Brian Bridges was doing the same stuff, and when you got guys around, you know, like Mike Soroka yeah. and Austin Riley, I mean, there this, this there has been, they've been really fortunate with the individuals that have been heading up this minor league system for the better part of the last decade plus, because they have just been, thro- I mean, talk about throwing strikes, they've been doing it over and over again in the way that they've been able to get these guys, develop these guys, and get them ready to come up been produced at the major league level.
1: Yeah, a lot of homegrown stars for the Atlanta Braves, and a lot of these guys are going to be sticking around for years and years to come, and that, of course, is a beautiful thing, to have all those guys locked up. Now, another guy who has come and gone, make it, what, four times now? I guess he hasn't gone for the fourth time, but Jesse Chavez was claimed on waivers by the Braves, so now Alex Anthopoulos has managed to trade for L Iglesias using Jesse Chavez, and less than a month later have Jesse Chavez on the same roster uh, Jesse is a guy that everybody just absolutely just opens up about. I mean, he's he's one of those great teammates is what Brian Snitker has, has called him. But also, I feel like he's played an important role both in the bullpen, Corey, and also in the culture of this club. Great to have a guy like this back down the stretch to just give this team a little bit more of the consistency and the chemistry that has made it as good as it's been.
2: I mean, he was fantastic last postseason. Remember, he appeared in seven games, six and a third, scoreless innings during the run of the World Series. And, and then obviously, you know what he means in that clubhouse. Remember they they had Luke Jackson traveling on the road with this team when things yeah. were a little bit out of sort. Mm-hmm. You know, they move on from After Will Smith, Smith and they wanted to get a guy back in there that could kind of, you know, help to set that standard in the clubhouse. Now you bring a guy back who can not only do that, but he can also go out and produce for you on the field as well. So I think he's gonna have a role. I think, you know. We can try to figure out who's going to be those guys that comes in for long relief. Who's that guy that, you know, maybe, maybe things aren't going right and you need to log those innings. Jesse Chavez is your guy to do that. Yeah,
1: just another piece that has been put back into the puzzle for the Braves as they come down the stretch looking to chase down the New York Mets in the NLEs. Braves are trying to wrap things up with the Marlins in a rain delay. We appreciate you riding along with us. Corey McCartney, Grant McCauley right here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. And welcome back in. This is hour two of From the Diamond. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 929 the game. Braves trying to wrap up their weekend against the Miami Marlins. The rain, though, has other ideas. And a tarp was brought out onto the field in the fifth inning over there. Braves did have a lead in that game, though. And they're hoping to finish off a sweep of Miami and keep their winning ways going, particularly as the New York Mets have kind of hit a speed bump in the name of the or in the form of the Washington Nationals of all clubs. And it's not just the Nationals that are giving them trouble. It's also the left side for Max Scherzer. He departed what they're calling precautionary. Scherzer said, hey, I can push through it. But it was, uh, I believe, was Anthony Decoma who covers the Mets uh, described it as shades of the oblique injury. I don't know that you want shades of an oblique injury hanging around in September if you're the uh, one of the top starters for a pennant contending club. But that's what the Mets are facing. But um, the Washington Nationals have done what some clubs will do every once in a while. And it's baseball is any club can beat any other club on a given day. And Washington has been beating up on New York the past 24 or so hours. And we've talked about it constantly. The Mets have the easiest remaining schedule in all of MLB in terms of winning percentage. All they have is the Milwaukee Brewers in terms of a winning club in front of them before they see the Braves again. So, Corey. The schedule is not going to get any harder for the New York Mets, but you still got to go out there and beat these teams.
2: Yeah, four twenty-four winning percentage of the remaining opponents left for them, and I think the Scherzer thing is obviously the most concerning here, right? I mean, he leaves after five innings, sixty-seven pitches, felt fatigue on that left side. I mean, that, I mean, it was the the oblique injury that kept him out from May eighteenth until July fifth, and we know how tricky those can be, right? I mean, you think how often a guy will, you know, think they're they're healed from it, but obviously the rotation that comes with, you know, for a position player, a pitcher—you know, just all the movement that you have with the, you know, with your midsection and how easy that right. can be to, you know, re-aggravate. I think that's a major concern. But I mean, the Mets are still in the midst of 16 straight games against losing teams. Obviously, after the Nationals, they've got the Pirates, the Marlins, the Cubs. Uh, then they face the Brewers. It, it I mean, they're not going to see, as you mentioned, just there's just one more team with a winning record in the Brewers, and the Brewers are pretty much cooked at this point so I mean everything is there for them it's crazy though that they, this of things comes right after they took two or three against the Dodgers and you felt like wow these guys have gone out and made a statement now and yeah. now it's just I and mean, they're just going to plow through everybody and here they are you know, in danger of losing a weekend series against the Washington Nationals.
1: And it's kind of the similar letdown that we were talking about for the Braves. I mean, yeah, they're supposed to go sweep the Pittsburgh Pirates, and they did that. Then they go and have a chance to sweep the St. Louis Cardinals. But you walk in a winning run on a Saturday night. That's a gut punch kind of a loss. No two ways about that. Then the next night, you give up a handful of home runs and lose a late lead again. And those are the kind of things that you feel like at this time of year you can't afford. Well, if you're the New York Mets and you do go out and take a series from the Los Angeles Dodgers and have to feel like you are, to your point, probably on top of the world or at least getting there, then you go out and fall flat on your face against the Washington Nationals. I mean, baseball is it's a sport that it's quite a grind. And as I like to say, humility is just a pitch away. And sometimes it's just a day away for a club because you can be on top of the world and then come out and deal with, uh, you know, a disappointing loss and, and one that you can't afford this time of year, to make a long story short. As far as this becoming a a more interesting race when the Philadelphia Phillies were playing so well and they let Joe Girardi go and Rob Thompson came in and with no Bryce Harper, by and large, this Phillies club pushed itself at least back into the wild card hunt. And yes, they're still there, but the Phillies are now dealing with their own injuries. Despite getting Bryce Harper back, he hasn't really been an impact player yet, but it means a ton to get your best player back from an injury. There's just no two ways about that, even if he's not the same guy that you come to expect when fully healthy. But now Nick Castellanos goes on the IL, and he's been a disappointing signing for them. No two ways about that this year. He has not been good. You've already got Zach Wheeler on the injured list. And now you look at Kyle Schwarber. kind of come back down to earth. He's really cooled off in the past three or four weeks. And the Phillies are now starting to stall out just a bit. And they're a club that the Braves are going to see quite a bit here in September. they got seven meetings head-to-head against the Phillies. So I guess I say all of that, Corey, to say, you know, if the Phillies are going to make a move on the wild card, they're going to have to match up with the Atlanta Braves, and they are not looking like they're clicking on all cylinders down the stretch.
2: I mean, they're in a situation though, there where you know they're, they they sh- they should be padding everything right now. They've played nothing but losing teams since yes. August 22nd. They won their first six. They dropped a series to the Diamondbacks, and now they you know they've dropped a series to the Giants. They're looking to avoid a sweep on Sunday. They've got 12 more against losing teams. They won't see a contender again in sem- sem- until September 16th, but from there they go. Braves, Blue Jays, Braves uh, over nine games. They got seven Oof. against Atlanta, and they end with the Astros in Houston. So, Oof. I mean, if they can't build up something during this time period, I don't, I, I just don't know how they're going to hold on uh, to that wild card spot. So, I think, I mean, it's, it's getting really dicey. I think the Brewers, you know, I, I mentioned, I, I just don't think they're, I don't think they're anywhere near as good as they were before. But no. the Phillies, the, the Phillies struggles right now could be playing into their. Uh, into their favor. And you mentioned Castellanos. Yeah, he's not been very good on the season, but he has an 853 uh, OPS in recent weeks. So he's mm-hmm. been a little bit better And now to lose him. And Schwarber, as you you know, I were talking off air, has slowed down a little bit. They have not had the the Bryce Harper of old uh, to this point in his return. So not a lot of things shaping up in the Phillies' favor right now.
1: No, last 19 games that Kyle Schwarber has played, and it's beyond just him, but the Phillies were 8-11 and in those games. And Schwarber has just two home runs and an OPS sub-750 over that, like, three-week-or-so stretch. And, and again, it goes far beyond Kyle Schwarber because he's not pitching some of those games. And one of those losses to the Diamondbacks was an all-timer bad loss where they blew a huge lead. They had blown up Madison Bumgarner, I think, for six or seven runs early and then turned around and lost that game. And, you know, much like the Diamondbacks or or even I'd say the Brewers more to the point – you're going to run into teams' good starting pitching every once in a while. They ran into Zach Gallon. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be fun for anybody right now. And the Brewers, if there is anything, as we kind of talk about the Central a little bit in the NL Central race, which the Cardinals are really dominating all of the headlines in, the Brewers still have some starting pitching that can give other teams trouble, but they just have not been able to consistently score. And I still think the trade of Josh Hader and the impact of that trade deadline is hanging over that club as something that kind of deflated that room.
2: Mathematically, they're still in this thing, right? I mean, Fangrass has them at a 36.4% chance of making the postseason. That's down from 38% uh, a week ago. Uh, but they're in the midst of a really critical stretch. They have the Diamondbacks this weekend. They dropped the first two. Uh, then they won Saturday. It's a four-game series. Then they have the Rockies, Giants, and Reds. So they have, uh, eight, um, then after that, they have eight games against the Cardinals, the Yankees, and the Mets. Uh, mm-hmm. I-, I just feel like it's... I'm not, I- the, to me, the the Phillies' struggles are the only thing that's going to keep the Brewers in this because I don't feel like they have enough right now. They're they've been middling offensively in yeah. August. They were a mid tier offense. They were 26th in pitching war in in August. You talk about you know how good that yeah. starting 26th in pitching war in a month, and you got guys like Corbin Burns in that rotation. Right. So. Uh, I just feel like they're, they're just in a, a lot of trouble right now. Yeah, I mean,
1: when you looked at best rotations in baseball coming into the season, the Brewers had to be, what, in the top three, if not maybe the top one in the National League, in particular with Burns being you know, the head of that table. It just hasn't played out that way. Now, we saw the St. Louis Cardinals last weekend. And by we, I mean, the, you know, Braves country got a good look at the Cardinals, maybe a better look than they wanted in a couple of those games. But, you know, we more than got our fill with what's been going right for that club of late. They are playing extremely good baseball. Nolan Arenado has looked great. Paul Goldschmidt's chasing down a triple crown, it looks like. Albert Pujols making a run at 700 home runs. And this from the more good news department for St. Louis. Looks like Jack Flaherty is going to jump back in their rotation. Yeah. He's calling it, I think, opening day part two. And that's set to happen on Labor Day. And Jack Flaherty, I mean, you talk about pitchers that can make a difference and beefing up your starting pitching or your starting rotation at at a very opportune time. Getting Flaherty back at any any percentage of the form that he could be is a huge boost for a Cardinals club that has started to really, you know, just run away from the Brewers and hide with the
2: NL Central. Here's how good that they were in the month of August. They led the majors in war runs, home runs away in Recrena Plus, and then they were tied for sixth in rotation war. Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt were first uh, were first and uh, second and third, excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, in fan graph war. Nolan Arenado at 6'9", Goldschmidt at 6'7". And now you're talking about them getting Flaherty back, and Flaherty you know, had a five six three ERA uh, in three starts. He did not look good early at all before uh, he went down with injury. Uh, but you know, from what they we, I mean, you saw it against the uh, against the Braves in that series. I mean, they can they just have pitching depth for days. Now you think about bringing yep. Flaherty into that mix, and a seven and a half game lead over the Brewers in the division. I mean, the only way the Brewers are going to get in is if somehow the Phillies fall apart and they can re- go up and grab that third wild card spot because the Cardinals. 24-7 and seven since the trade deadline mm-hmm. are not giving up that division lead.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to say anything about the Cardinals falling apart and the Brewers being able to put it together and those two things happening simultaneously. I just don't feel like that's the case. So it looks like that the wild card would be the spot for the Brewers if they're going to sneak their way into October. And then when you get there, you got to deal with teams the likes of the Dodgers and the Braves and the Mets and even the Padres who have done fairly well for themselves this season, though they've had to deal with some of their own challenges since the trade deadline which we might as well jump into right now. Uh, The Los Angeles Dodgers, that's the tweet when it comes to the NL West. They are 50 games over 500. They have a a shot, a very real shot, at perhaps the most wins by a club in a single season with the 2001 Mariners holding that mark as of right now. But the Dodgers did lose a series to the Mets, so they are in fact human. And I guess in the Superman parlance, they do bleed. And so the Padres, 18 games out, are not going to challenge them in the West and have had to shift their focus to the wild card. But... This is a Dodgers club that I think you have to ask it every single year. Is there a team that can best this club that looks somehow, amazingly, despite its own injuries, even better than it did a year ago when they were looked at as the team that you had to knock off the top of the mountain and the Braves did it?
2: The Dodgers' offense is spectacular. They're number one in fangraph war runs, weighted on base average, weighted run creative plus. They have seven players hitting at least 17% above league average. and There just are no outs. Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman both are hitting 52% above league average. I just don't know if they have enough starting pitching. That's that got to be the question with them. Because you've got well, Clayton Kershaw, who you know, obviously missed a 21-0 season. He's made two trips to the IL this year. Walker Buehler's out for the season. Tony Gonson's on the injured list. Andrew Haney's made two, road tri- uh, two trips to the IL. Yep. Dustin May, who just came back from Tommy John, uh, had his worst uh, outing of his career on Friday. It's all Julio Urias. Can he do enough to prop up this rotation I mean, he's been I mean he's been really really good right mm-hmm. I and mean, he's he's got a 2.29 uh, ERA right now and he's 110 since the uh, all-star break um he's leads the national league right now in ERA they're going to be the number 1 seed but do they have enough starting pitching or are they going to have to get into the point where they're in slugfest with teams when we get to October?
1: And somehow they ran into this last year, because remember against the Braves, one of the big stories and I'm sure Braves fans haven't forgot is Max Scherzer's tired arm. And when it came to the NLCS, I mean, he literally had to bow out of what would have been one of the biggest starts of his career. And I know he's a guy that pitched for the 2019 world champions and a guy who's won Cy Young's and done all kinds of different things. But when I did think about Max Scherzer, I was surprised to hear that he wasn't going to be able to go to the post and Maybe some of that was just trying to knock the Giants out and the way that they use their pitchers down the stretch to try to get through that club just to get to the National League Championship Series. But that's what clubs have to contend with at that time of year. The Dodgers have certainly got the offense, and I believe that they got the pitching as well. Looking at the wild card quickly in the National League, the Braves have the top wild card spot by nine and a half games by winning four in a row here going into Sunday and trying to finish off a sweep of the Marlins, 32 games over five hundred. They're ahead of the Padres, who have a half-game lead on the Phillies for the top three wild-card spots. Then you get the Milwaukee Brewers two-and-a-half games out of that. We already know Dodgers, Mets, Cardinals leading their respective divisions, and it's going to be a very interesting September for one or all of these clubs, more than likely. We'll take a look at the American League and size things up with all of those races, as From the Diamond continues. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Welcome back. From the Diamond, Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you live from the Kia Studios talking Braves and baseball with you. The Atlanta Braves trying to finish off their weekend with a sweep of the Miami Marlins. Mother Nature, though, had some other ideas. But we appreciate you finding your way on over to join us as we've been talking a lot about what's going on with the Atlanta Braves. And we've got even more coming, so don't go anywhere we are, however, going to take a quick look at what's going on in these American League races as we continue to take our look around the big leagues and let you know all of the things that have been going on. Uh, and when we talk about the American League, and when we talked about the American League East for so long, Corey, it felt like it was just autopilot. Hey, the New York Yankees have the best record in the American yep. League, they have the best record in baseball. They're coasting into the postseason. And now we're here in the second week of September, or heading into it anyway and this club has been just a disaster since the start of August or really in the second half they've had injuries they've had inconsistency they've had more injuries they've had more inconsistency they have had more questions than answers long story short and it has started to boil over i think for Aaron Boone and company as he he said in his comments after their loss yesterday or on saturday that this Yankees club has set a higher standard, and they quite simply are not living up to it right now.
2: I mean, it sort of has to feel like he's on the chopping block, right? If this team ends up falling apart, I mean, obviously Aaron Judge continues his march towards history. He's got 52 home runs. He's 53 on pace for 63-64 he's, yep. he's at this point, mm-hmm. uh, surpassing Roger Maris's single-season Yankees record. They brought up Oswald Peraza, um, you know, their big-time prospect there, as one of their uh, their September call-ups, the number 3 guy uh, by pipeline. So they, uh, there's some positives, but they went 10 and 18 in August, their first losing month of the season. Remember, they were 15 and six in April, 19 and nine in May, 22 and six in June. That lead in the AL East, which was 15 and a half games, is now been four. dwindled to four Whew. games, and they're going to see. I mean, they, they're playing the Rays right now, and they're going to see them September 9th through the 11th. Um, the Yankees have lost six of their last seven games. Just think of all the guys that are out for them. Anthony Rizzo, Nestor Cortez, Earlis Chapman, Matt Carpenter, Scott Efros, Luis Severino, Harrison Bader, Michael King out for the season, Chad Green out for the season. You could put together a really good team with the guys that the Yankees don't have at their disposal <laughs> right now. And um, I mean, I, I don't I don't know if I can sit here and say on September 4th that they're not going to be the American League East champs because if they got three more looming against that Rays team that just keeps finding ways yep. to win – I mean, this thing feels like it might end up going down to the wire.
1: Now, the Rays have been dealt one of their own blows when it comes to yeah. injuries. And then, of course, is Shane McClanahan getting hurt this past week. And that's a big blow because he was the guy that I think was going to get Cy Young consideration, probably be a top three finish, if not the, the runner-up. And Dylan Cease, who we'll talk about in a moment for the Chicago White Sox, certainly had himself a moment to remember and nearly. He had a, uh, he had a date with history that went away in the, in the ninth inning. But uh, kind of closing up thought on or our, continuing our thoughts on the East, this was a race that we could have called over, I felt like, a month ago, and nobody would call you crazy. But baseball has a way of allowing some crazy and unforeseen things to happen. With the Yankees kind of falling on their face, this Rays Club has just continued to find ways to win. And they're not the only like, feel-good story going on in the East. The Baltimore Orioles may not win the division because they've got the Blue Jays in front of them, they got the Rays in front of them, they got the Yankees in front of them. But I don't know if there has been a more – rootable team here in the second half than the Baltimore Orioles. They just continue to have these feel-good moments and they are making a run in a season in which, if you were to have polled and if you were to go back and look at the you know the um, all the projections for that club. Yeah. What a hundred losses yeah, I mean, no, buried nobody. buried in the cellar, and they have yeah. been far from cellar dwellers in the American League. East. Yeah,
2: nobody saw the Orioles doing anything except finishing dead last in this division. But the Rays, real quick, they've won sixteen in the last twenty games. They just continue to to win despite setbacks. Basically, that's what Kevin Cash specializes in. But the, the Orioles, I mean, they still have an outside shot. I think mean, they're a game and a half out of the the third wild card spot. Um, they got a, Mon- a Monday doubleheader against the Blue Jays. They'll have 10 games left against the Blue Jays, including the last mm-hmm. three of the regular season. They are going to have a say in how things play out without question. Uh, I love the fact that they brought up Gunnar Henderson, another one of their big-time yeah. prospects. They are just to the point where—and it seems so strange because they were willing to move on from Trey Mancini. They were willing right. to move on from, from their closer, Lopez— And now they're bringing up big time prospects. It just seems like it's kind of a mixed message. Mm -hmm. But I I just love the fact that they just keep finding a way to stay in this thing. And I just love the fact if you're a fan of the Orioles that you get to watch them bring up players like this in the midst of a of a pennant race and say, okay. We're going to provide a spark, and it's going to come within the organization.
1: Now, I'm not going to say that they wouldn't have brought these guys up, but it's fair to wonder if they did hold on to Mancini. Would they have brought up Gunnar Henderson? I don't know. Maybe they would have, but it it is weird to trade away somebody and not really get a bounty of prospects for him, and it's not like Mancini's gone over to Houston and just lit the world on fire and become you know, that Remember when J.D. Martinez got traded to the Diamondbacks and hit all those home runs? It hasn't (laughs) been anything like that. But either way, you wouldn't have expected them to start the clock, air quotes, of some prospects, which, you know, time manipulation or service time manipulation is something we can waste our time on in another episode of the show. But you would have thought maybe that they would just wait and see what these guys can do in a different season. But Adley Rushman came up, and he has been every bit as good as advertised, and I think he's going to get even better moving forward. He's a franchise-type player, and that's typically what 1-1 picks are. Uh, But this has been a very, very fun club. Now, one that has been, I don't know if less than fun is the way to call it, but you would think that if you had three clubs within two games of one another in a division race coming down the stretch, that it would be exciting. I don't know that the AL Central is really exciting. It seems to be who is going to end up with it, who wants it the least, I guess, might not get it, and then somebody has to take it because there has to be a division winner But you've got Cleveland, the Guardians, with a one-game lead over the Minnesota Twins, a two-game lead over the Chicago White Sox. But the top two teams still keep stumbling. And then the White Sox are waiting an awful long time to turn it on. I I did mention Dylan Cease had a a near no-hitter on Saturday night. It was broken up with two outs in the ninth inning. I think he's going to be the American League Cy Young award winner. And we haven't spent, I don't think, two minutes talking about him on these shows because the White Sox have just been such a mess all season long.
2: And adding to their mess, now you got Tony La Russa, who's out indefinitely with an undisclosed illness. Miguel Cairo comes in to lead them. Um, La Russa's obviously taken the brunt of the heat for a team that was expected to win the division, and Mm -hmm. it has been collectively one of the biggest disappointments in all of baseball. No doubt. um, Dylan Cease has been fantastic. I mean, he became the first White Sox pitcher with a a one-hitter to lose his no-hit bid in the ninth (laughs) inning since Dennis Lamp, 1981 uh, but man, he's just been so good. Um, you know, they've just been got. I mean, so much has been a letdown on that team, and certainly he has been one of the pieces uh, that has been, you know, I think every bit you could have hoped uh, they were going to be. I mean, it's got a two-one-three ERA right now, striking out 11.3 per nine. I mean, he has been absolutely fantastic, and it is weird. I mean, you mentioned it; it feels like nobody wants to lead to win this division. I mean, yeah. I I mean, the the Guardians had a tough stretch. They had two against the Padres. They lost three or four to the Mariners, then two or three to the Orioles. They have three against the Mariners this weekend, but the biggest stretch is coming up. Mm -hmm. Between September 9th and September 19th, the Guardians and Twins will play each other eight times. This thing is going to get sorted out one way or the other, but, I I mean, someone's got to win the division. I was going to say, confirm this for me.
1: Somebody has to win those (laughs) games, right? (laughs) Well, of course, they could meet eight, You said, eight times. Yeah, eight more times. Watch them split them. There you go. I mean, that's just pretty much what's going to happen. I, I don't know, though, but that seems like just an, an A-plus way to just underwhelm your fan base. But could you imagine right now, if you had the Mets, the Braves, and the Phillies all within two games one another, what mm-hmm. that would mean for National League East fans, particularly, I mean, Braves fans might not have any, have any nails left to, to chew <laughs> off by the time it's over. Same for Mets and same for Phillies fans. But this has just been an underwhelming close race for most of the season where. Not anybody has, has gone away necessarily, but nobody has really taken charge of that division. Now, the Houston Astros, meanwhile, they're holding strong. They've got the American League's best record. In fact, they're the only club in the American League that has a better record than the Braves. If you want to put into perspective what being 32 games over five hundred means for this Atlanta club, it's one of the best records in all of baseball. It may not feel like that all the time, but I can assure you the Braves have won far more than they've lost. The Astros, of course, have been doing the exact same. They do, though, lose Justin Verlander to what he believes is not going to be a long stint on the I.L., but 15-day I.L. for Verlander in September. They've got the West sewn up. The Mariners are surging. They continue to win and win and win, but so too have the Astros. But it looks like Seattle, who have been rolling in the second half and feeling pretty good about what they've been doing, has a very good chance of breaking that long postseason drought.
2: Yeah, I mean the Astros. They also brought up Hunter Brown, you know, who's one of their big-time prospects, yeah. the top-ranked uh, in in their organization for pipeline. Week, aren't he? Yeah, he should. And they just have so much depth, right? And the fact that you can put Justin Verlander, you know, on the IL and still have five quality big-league starters: in from Framber Valdez, Lance McCullers Jr., Jose Urquiti, Luis uh, Garcia, and Christian Javier, and feel like you're not losing, you know, any kind of uh, anything really. I mean, obviously Verlander's been fantastic, and he's going to be right there when we talk about Dylan Cease in terms of the the AL Cy Young Award. Um, but you know, it's 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 a blow, and they they don't expect him to be out for a long time, which I think is the biggest piece there. But yeah. um, we're going to get into the Mariners more. But man, this uh, th- that team is just so much fun to watch. And again, I told you from the offset, I'm just so amped up to see that series uh, between them and the Braves coming up here. Yeah. But. Um, Shohei Ohtani. I mean, we don't. We, we have not spent a lot of time talking about the Angels of late as they've kind of floundered. But um, it's really getting to the point, I think, with with Ohtani, where the only thing of, of really of note, and it's a big of note uh, when you talk about the Angels, is whether Shohei Ohtani or Aaron Judge should end up winning an, an American League MVP. And I think that's going to be a really interesting discussion down the stretch.
1: Now, we'll, let's have a little bit of that discussion right now. Aaron Judge has 53 home runs. Seems like with most of September left and a few games in October. He's got a chance to surpass Maris as the Yankees' single-season home run leader. And when you're passing Roger Maris's record, which it should still mean an awful lot to people, I think it does. And, of course, Babe Ruth before him being the Yankees' single-season home run leader. you got Mickey Mantle. you got so many other great players and sluggers and Hall of Famers and legends of baseball that have put on that uniform. To be the Yankees' single-season home run leader, that is going to carry, I think, a lot of cachet with voters. But here's your crazy Shohei Ohtani stat of the week. He became the first player in baseball history to have 30 home runs and 10 wins as a pitcher. This guy, every year you're going to have an argument until he stops doing this stuff of Shohei Otani versus the field, I feel like, for MVP. And how do you define most valuable or or do you define it as best and most unique and most dominating season singularly by a player having nothing to do with his team's success? But this is going to be, I think, a fascinating race and a fascinating vote between those two guys, in particular. So,
2: if Judge doesn't pass Maris, what's the foundation of his uh, of his argument, right? I mean, he's got his, well, so if you take Otani, so Otani has a 3.2 WAR as a hitter, he has a 4.0 WAR as a pitcher, right? Um, so, so, 7-2. he's one behind Judge. But I feel like if Judge doesn't get that Yankees record, I think you take the the, the combination of what Otani is, and it's more valuable. And I, I realize we're at that point we're talking about. You know, a Yankees team that's floundering and an Angels team that's been out of it for a really, really long, long period of time here. But to me, Otani's just, he's been better as a pitcher this year than he was last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is a two six seven ERA, which is more than half a run better than last season. Yeah. His K per nine is up, his, his mm-hmm. walk per nine is down, and he's going to throw more innings than he did all of last season. Uh, you take that on top of the fact that what he's doing offensively, I mean... I hate to downgrade Judge, and if he gets past Maris, I think that's going to ultimately win out. But I just think that we're we're tying one guy's candidacy to a record and the other guy's candidacy to the overall impact that he has on the game.
1: Maybe so, and and all of those things, I would say, spread it all out on the table, put all the cards out there, and see you know how all of this adds up. But if you do look at what the Yankees have have done this season in terms of winning. Aaron Judge has been a huge driving force, a consistent driving force behind the winning that they've done this year. And yes, they are floundering down the stretch. Aaron Judge is not. Aaron Judge <laughs> is one of the few things that is going right for the New York Yankees. So even if he doesn't get Maris's record, say he hit 60 home runs. Well, hitting 60 home runs in a season, you know, falling one short of Roger Maris, you're still one of the what handful of guys who've ever done that in the history of baseball, but Either way, I mean, Judge is having a historically great season. He's doing it walking into free agency, which means that, that could mean an awful lot to him. Ooh, From yeah. a bank account standpoint, if somebody wants to go ahead and make him the next $300 million uh, contract or the next $40-plus plus million dollars per year contract, he could, in fact, be that guy. Let's take a look at the wild card before we close things out here and turn our attention back to what's going on with the Atlanta Braves, who will resume play against the Miami Marlins and hopefully – be able to close out a sweep here on this Sunday. When it does come to this wild card, it does, of course, go to the American League East first, and then everybody else kind of has to file in after that. Uh, you've got the Tampa Bay Rays, who have a game-and-a-half lead. Then you do have the Seattle Mariners, who are tied with the Rays, a dead heat percentage points behind for the top two wild card spots. Then it's the Blue Jays in the third spot, and then it's the Orioles, who are just two games out. I mean, this is an exciting race down the stretch. And as you mentioned and laid out all of these different particulars of who's going to play who and when, the American League East is going to have to decide basically the pecking order of how the wild card is going to look.
2: The Orioles per fan graph only have a 10.9% chance of making the postseason, which I feel like is extremely low. The Blue Jays are at 92%. And I mentioned the amount of times that those two teams are going to play each other. I think the Orioles need some more love here. I just, to me, the Central is not going to take one of those spots. All those wild cards are going to the East. And, uh, I mean, if the Orioles can get this done, man, it's going to be one of the best stories we've seen in a long, long time.
1: I think it absolutely could be. So that's a look at the American League. As we continue here on From the Diamond, we will talk all about what's coming up for the Atlanta Braves who embark on a long trip out west. We'll get you set up for all of that and much more here on From the Diamond. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game. Welcome back. This is From the Diamond. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you here on a Sunday afternoon. We appreciate you joining us. Braves had to deal with a little bit of a storm, but hopefully we've kept you entertained. And if you like what you've heard, make sure you subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on the Odyssey app. Just search for From the Diamond. Well, Corey, let's turn our attention not to the week that was for the Atlanta Braves. So we have covered an awful lot of that on the show, but the week to come, because the Braves are going to have Labor Day off and then they are going to embark on a road trip that begins with the lowly Oakland Athletics, but also includes a look at the Seattle Mariners And the San Francisco Giants, who have quite a few times when you go out and play by the bay, the Braves have had a little bit of trouble. But this should be, a, as they all are, very important road trip for Atlanta. One winning club, one club in Oakland that has really just kind of fallen on hard times this year, more so than a lot of years. And then, of course, a Giants club that has kind of cratered since the trade deadline. This will be a pivotal road trip, again, to use the phrase, as they all are this time of year.
2: Yeah, and with the Nationals obviously taking a series over the Mets uh, winning on Sunday to take yeah. that, they won the last two games of that series 7 to 1, which is just absolutely insane. But you th- okay, so we turn our attention to this A's and Braves series. Obviously Shay Langeliers is going to get to face the former team that traded him away in the pretty Atlanta fun. Braves. Yes, that's pretty fun. Going to be a homecoming for Matt Olson. Uh, The Braves, uh, you mentioned Langoliers, hitting just 115 in his last six games, so he's not obviously uh, tearing things up. But you're going to see Kyle Wright and Spencer Strider out there pitching for the A's in Oakland. Wright held the A's to two runs on five hits, seven strikeouts back in June 7th. No one in that Oakland lineup has ever seen Spencer Strider, and I feel like that is a lot of trouble for that Oakland lineup. They can get some intel from Langoliers, who obviously knows uh, Strider pretty well. But that's about it. I mean, he's going to get a carve-up in, in offense that's 26th and the Fangraph War, has the league's worst batting average, hitting just two sixteen.
1: Yeah, I don't think a team batting two sixteen wants to spend a whole lot of days dealing with Kyle Wright and Spencer Strider, because both of those guys, Wright has been generating soft contact all year long. I mean, he is one of, the, I think, the top guys when you look at regular starting pitchers, qualified starting pitchers when it comes to weak contact. That's something he's excelled at. The A's, unfortunately, have also excelled, I think, at weak contact. And that's a totally different thing and probably sounds worse than I mean it to be. But it just kind of is what it is. That's a club that just does not hit the ball hard regularly, doesn't score a lot of runs, and has had a lot of trouble with that. So this would seem to be very tasty matchups for both of these Braves starting pitchers. And when you look at on the other side, you got a couple of lefties. The Braves were out left-handed pitchers. They have a very good record against them. They have very good splits overall against lefties this year. So this is a two-game series that is against a struggling club and against a club that you really need to beat up on.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I know I like to use the term trap series when you think about it in terms of, you know, the NFL or other sports when we talk about trap games and whatnot. This kind of feels like that situation, right? It, you, you're you getting away from home. You're playing a little bit later. You know, 940 starts there on that Tuesday uh, game to open up that two-game set. Um, how are you going to respond? Because you've got the Mariners lurking. I think that's going to be a really, really big test uh, for the Braves after you get through two out there in, uh, in the Coliseum and – you mentioned though the the ability to, to, to really get you know good games going against left-handers. They're good, you know. Wright and Strider are going to have success against that Oakland team. I would be surprised, stunned really, to, to not have them both uh, put up really strong outings. Wright again, you know, was really good against him back in June seventh. Uh, Strider has just been in on an absolute role. So I would anticipate uh, you know the Braves being in really good positions to get things done against that really struggling A's team.
1: Yeah, you would certainly expect that because if you look at the records of these two teams, I mean, you can't get much further than being a team 30 games over 500 and being a team that's, what, about 30 games under 500. Yeah. I mean, it's about as far as you can possibly go. In terms of OPS all season long, the Braves are second only to the Cardinals against left-handers, and they're going to see two lefty starters as they go out there, an 802. OPS against lefties this year. That's not just lefty starters, but the Braves certainly handle their business against left-handed pitchers. They'll get Cole Irvin in game one. And then it's uh, Ken Waldichuk, I believe uh, in yep. game two. So Spencer Strider will be pitching in game two. Kyle Wright gets the ball in the opener. You mentioned briefly Matt Olson, and this will be a homecoming for him going back to Oakland for the first time. He did get to reunite with what A's teammates that he <laughs> was still keeping up with, I guess at that time, because Oakland of course tore some things down in the offseason, but all jokes aside, this should be, I think, maybe a fun moment for Matt Olson, who is now playing with his hometown team in the Atlanta Braves. He's going to be here for a very long time. But going back out to Oakland, and hopefully he gets a good reception from some of the A's diehards that will be out there.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's he's tailed off a little bit, too. I mean, he was hitting so well in July, yeah. uh, 11% above league average in August. He's been minus 60, way to run Cradle Plus here in the early goings of September. So, I mean, he he could use a, a surge and you know, hopefully being out there in, in front of those fans again that I'm sure he's going to get a nice welcome from. Uh, You remember, you know, what he was able to do in an A's uniform uh, can get Olsen going again at the plate. Yeah,
1: most home runs by any first baseman in baseball since the start of 2019. I mean, Matt Olsen slugged a lot of home runs in an Oakland A's uniform and clearly built himself quite the resume that had the Braves excited to go out and and get him and install him at first base for much of the next decade. Uh, You talked about Olsen here in September. and I mean, clearly it's not a big sample size, but he has tailed off he was going through a very nice stretch heading into this uh, Marlins series or into the Rocky series, excuse me, where he had not struck out very often at all to close out the month of August. I was really pretty excited to see that because I know the swing and miss is going to be part of his game at times, but it really seemed like he had dialed in his overall, uh, I guess, perception of the strike zone. He was drawing his walks. He was hitting some big home runs, some of them that landed in rivers and were uh, dredged out by uh, search and rescue teams, but, It has been a tough September for Matt, and he hasn't been able to find the big hits he wants to with some big opportunities to maybe blow some games open or give the Braves a big lead.
2: He had a uh, three-game, three-strikeout game against the Rockies there on the first of the month. He had to go back to August 17th to find the last time that he struck out more than three times at least in a game. So, um, you know, he... We know how the runs that he's been on, and certainly early in the season, it felt like he was a major reason that this team was even having successes. Was what he was able to keep doing, obviously, you know, just producing doubles at an insane rate. Yeah, but, um, he he needs a pick me up, and and certainly going out there against a struggling A's team. Uh, would seem to do it. You know, he mentioned he's. They're going to see a lefties in that A series. They're going to see two lefties in that uh, in that series against the Mariners. There with both Robbie Ray and Marco Gonzalez. So a lot of opportunities there for you know for lefties to have successes. Uh, you know, certainly with a lot of them, they're going to see pitching wise in the next two series.
1: Now, I know Matt Olson had hit pretty well against lefties last year. Not yeah. to put you on the spot, but it has not been the same. Yeah, thing he, had, here I mean, in he had. 20 home.
2: I mean, how many 20 home runs against lefties About last half his season? Home runs, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And so as you look at some of the struggles that he has had here in 2022, his first year with the Braves, I think it's been marked more by really the ups and downs for Matt Olson. I mean, it was a red hot three or four weeks to start his Braves career. Then things got a little bit cold. Then all of a sudden the Braves got hot and Matt Olson started to to find things again as the uh, all-star break approached. And you mentioned he had a good July. He was doing pretty well in August. And now all of a sudden here in September, he's just got to get things going. But if there's ever a time to show up big for your club, September, October, are the months that you'll usually check. If I can have my best numbers of the year, when would I want to have them? I think most players would tell you September, October, particularly October. Guys seem to like that.
2: Hey, the the Braves have had their issues when they travel out West. He's a guy who's had a lot of success yeah. uh, playing out in the West Coast. So uh, certainly an opportunity for him to do that over these next, uh, was it nine games coming up?
1: Yeah, definitely so. So uh, the Braves are going to have a couple of off days this week. And when we talked about earlier on, some of the things that they're trying to manage right now, in particular is the troublesome knee of Ronald Acuna Jr., who has come back to the lineup, but is de right now. And as we talked about in the first hour of the show, there are so many moving parts to the Braves lineup decisions for Brian Snitker. And, of course, the Braves roster in general here in the month of September. Ozzy Albies has been out on a rehab assignment with the Gwinnett Stripers. We hope that he's going to be back in a Braves uniform very soon. The rosters have expanded to 28 men, which still, eh, you know, the, those spots have already been taken. Jesse Chavez is back on the pitching side. Orlando Arcia came back from the injured list. Haven't seen that much of him yet. But there are going to be some very interesting decisions to be made. And in particular, the DH, it's not just going to be as simple as, okay, well, Ozzy's back, throw Von Grissom in there as a DH. Nope, you're not going to really be able to do that if Ronald Acuna Jr. is there. And you're not going to be able to DH Ozzy Albies a whole bunch and just leave Von Grissom alone at second base. And then you have to think about Eddie Rosario and Robbie Grossman and Marcelo Zuna has seen playing time this week as well and this weekend and has had a little bit of success at the plate, which as long as he's going to be here, he might as well, you know, contribute to the club. And he's been able to do that the last couple of days.
2: It's funny, we were talking earlier about, you know, the situation with the outfield and, you know, all that. And Robbie Grossman's name didn't even come up when we were talking about that. He's, there's just so many guys yep. that they have to, to try to figure out how this whole thing is going to work. And, you know, certainly, I mean, again, there's there's a, there's a going to be a sector of people listening right now that that have had it with Marcelo Zuna. But yep. again, if if he's on the roster... And and Brian Snicker is is forced to play the guys that are not say forced to, but if he's trying to figure things right. out with the pieces available right. to him, you've got to find a way to utilize these guys in the best way you can. And and if you're taking that DH spot off the board as you try to keep Ronald Acuna Jr. out, he's, he's I mean again, his last four straight games now in which he's been out of the field you got to find a way, and you know certainly it's going to create a lot of machinations down the stretch here as they try to piece this thing together and, and find out how to keep these hot bats in the lineup.
1: Well, let's talk about a fun matchup right here when we talk about the Braves and the Mariners coming up. You've got Julio Rodriguez, the Rookie of the Year candidate for the Seattle Mariners. You've got Michael Harris, the second Rookie of the Year candidate for the Atlanta Braves. Both of these guys clearly having great seasons to be in that race also, both of them got some pretty nice deals to stay long-term with their club. Rodriguez, one of the most unique contracts you'll ever see in yeah. any sport. Uh, that aside, though, would you believe that Michael Harris actually has the edge in Fangrass wins above replacement against Rodriguez? This is, uh, I, I think, a really fascinating time and, and series and opportunity to see two of the great young talents in the game here in 2022 showing out on the same field.
2: Yeah, Julio Rodriguez, we know, is a certifiable superstar Um I really wish we were seeing Spencer Strider pitching this series, and he wasn't going to go right. against the A's because you got George Kirby is going to be pitching in the second game of this. Uh, Kirby's tied with Strider in second half, where they're behind only Zach Gallen and Justin Verlander. That yeah. tells you how good he's been a 316 ERA, 2 3 Fangraft War on the season for him. They're so similar to the Braves. are the only teams that have a rookie position player and a rookie pitcher in the top five and more, just the Mariners and the Braves with Michael Harris II and Spencer Strider, Julio Rodriguez, and George Kirby. Um, Seattle has six players hitting above league average, so it goes beyond just these guys. I mean, Juanio Suarez has been much better. Sam Haggerty, mm-hmm. Mitch Haniger has rebounded. Jesse Winker has found his way back. I, I like these matchups. I mean, you got Charlie Morton against the reigning AL Cy Young winner, Robbie Ray, in the first game. I, I'd be interested to see what happens that second game for the Braves opposite uh, George Kirby because that would be Jacoby Rizzi's spot. They obviously yeah. skipped that with arm mm-hmm. fatigue. Uh, then you got Max Freed and Marco Gonzalez in that uh, couple of really good left-handed pitchers. In that uh, that third game there, so um, this is going to be fun. The Braves do avoid Luis Castillo, who's been really good since being acquired uh, from the Reds, but um, this this is going to be big time, man. This is uh, I, I'm if. I mean, I'm not saying this is going to be a postseason, you know, a prelude hey, it, or whatever, It's, it's but it it's could a little be. Peak, man, uh, but certainly it feels like they're this one of those teams that you know you hear so much about, and we've heard we've watched them get so much better and go out and do the Rodriguez deal. Mm-hmm. You don't always get to see them unless you want to stay up and watch some late night West Coast baseball. Uh, so this is going to be a treat, I think, for a lot of Braves fans seeing this club.
1: Yeah, it'll go beyond the home run derby, if you will. And, yeah. and looking in the pitching matchups of that series, and something important to note clearly about Charlie Morton, who spent so much time with the Astros and the Rays. He's seen the Seattle Mariners quite a bit, so maybe this will be a good matchup for him as he tries to get on track because, as we talked about, we don't have a ton of time left, but I did want to touch on it again because, hey, you know, you talk about postseasons and previews and things that are going to be talked about quite a lot. Spencer Strider is putting together an incredible rookie season, and more importantly than that, he is pitching himself, I think, into a very important role for the Braves in the postseason, and it doesn't take a rocket surgeon to figure that one out. But for Charlie Morton, he has the best postseason resume of any pitcher in, in just about either league, you know, what is this going to look like by the time you get to October? There's going to be some interesting decisions, more so in the wild card round, if that's where the Braves end up, than will be as you get into five- and seven-game series. But, man, for, for Charlie Morton, to make a long story short, to bring it on home here you've got to pitch your best baseball in September so that you're able to kind of get back to being the guy that people expect you to be and that I'm sure he expects to be.
2: He's got 61 strikeouts in the second half to go with a 3.06 ERA. So he's been piling up the Ks. He's had a couple bad, you know, bad shaky outings, however you want to quantify him. You know, gives up 5 runs in Boston, uh, 4 to 4 to the Phillies, but you know, by and large he's been a lot more effective, a lot more efficient. Uh, in the second half, and I I think I'm just going to throw this out there. We're going to see a lot of strikeouts in that Mariner series, because Kirby's striking out 10-5 per nine. Robbie Ray's 10-4-3. You got Morton doing what he's doing. You got Max Freed um, I don't, Again, we don't know who the Braves are going to throw out in that second mm-hmm. game, but I think you're going to see Kays plenty in that series. and An opportunity for Morton to just build on what he's been doing lately, which is striking out a lot of guys.
1: Yeah, and he has been top five in the National League for quite some time. He and Spencer Strider trade that off, but it's just a crazy thing to look at the innings pitch for Spencer Strider when it comes to not only just the strikeouts, but his, his wins above replacement. I mean, he's not going to qualify for the ERA title. He's not going to be, at the end of the year, Spencer Strider, that is, a qualified pitcher because he did spend that time in the bullpen, and he's not going to get to the 162-inning mark that you have to in order to get there. But when you look at his rate stats and how he's gotten there, the guys that he's on these leaderboards with that have thrown 25, 30, and in Sandy Alcantara's case, Almost 75 or 80 more innings than Spencer Strider to have the success he's had. It just underscores how much this guy has done with the opportunity he's got.
2: You dial it back to the you know the amount of innings that he has. It was his 114 and two thirds, and he is above Shohei Otani, who's number two Ooh. at case per nine, to 11.98. So that tells you how good things have been uh, for for Strider. I mean, it's. Man, I, I I just can't remember. I mean, it, it's like Kerry Wood. I mean, that's the last yeah. time I can remember when you had a guy come in and you were just like, man, this guy's stuff is just ridiculous. And this, I mean, I think that's that's maybe the best comp for him. And I know it's a lot of the, the K's per nine right now is going to pass Wood's single season record from '98, but I mean, that feels like where we're at right now.
1: Well, we're talking about Kerry Wood. We're talking about Doc Gooden. We're talking about maybe Fernando Val- Valenzuela. I mean, Fernando wasn't giving up any runs. I mean, this guy was going out there throwing complete game shutouts just about every time out there. But Spencer Strider is giving you that kind of big-time excitement with the stuff he's throwing. That's going to wrap us up here on From the Diamond. We had a great time with you over the last couple of hours as the Braves were stuck in a rain delay. They'll get things going against the Marlins, try to wrap up that sweep, and we will be back with you on From the Diamond next week. For Corey McCartney, I'm Grant McCauley. Garrett, thank you as always for your help. We appreciate it, and we will catch all of you next week right here on Saturday, though, on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. <sighs>